I'm Tiffany Xinyu Wen. I'm the Chief Strategy and Marketing Officer of Spectrum Labs. Welcome to the first edition of our Safety Matters Summit. This is the first ever conference that convenes brand safety and user safety leaders together to shape a safer and more equitable digital society. My wonderful team has spent the last nine months working so hard to make this happen. We are fortunate to convene shapers and movers from every corner of our digital construct, from mega brands to influential agencies, major platforms, metaverse pioneers, and nonprofits. And now we are here to collaborate on safety matters and to say to the world, safety matters. Today, there is a cyber attack every 39 seconds. More than 40% of the US internet users have reported online harassment. And AI recognizes white-skinned men 34% better than dark-skinned women. The Web2 era has led to a loss of trust. Our safety is threatened. Our data is breached. And the technology is discriminating against human beings. But things are changing. Online communities are urging a safety net. Consumers are demanding data dignity. Creators are desiring diversity and inclusion. Brands and platforms are realizing this is a moral imperative to restore safety, privacy, and inclusion. It is also a commercial imperative to instill trust to win the race into the metaverse. In the metaverse, this immersive, interoperable, persistent, and fantasized universe, I see both incredible promise and potential danger. The enabling technologies can bring us closer together, but can also accelerate the velocity of toxicity, unless we establish proper safety guardrails at the get-go. The more our identity and interactions occur in this immersive experience, the more important it is that we get trust and safety right. This morning, I was taking a moment, meditating, and appreciating how far we have come. Because of everyone at this summit, digital safety is now becoming a top priority for the next iteration of the web. Today's summit is an ensemble of senior leaders across brands and platforms who work in concert for a safer and more equitable digital future. And today, and moving forward, our collective goal is to elevate trust and safety in the corporate conversation. This next two days, we will have a variety of industry leaders from gaming, dating, social media, financial services, CPG, marketplace, e-learning, and online media to discuss how brand and user safety come together to establish community health and build brand trust as we embark on this next iteration of human ingenuity 
Web3. We welcome you to attend any of our 19 sessions of keynotes, fireside chats, and panels across brand safety on day one and user safety on day two. In the agenda, we have built in some time for networking. So go ahead and review the agenda so that you don't miss out. We will also roll up our sleeves to show you a few highly demanded safety solutions across both days, like how to do user-level moderation to drive efficacy, how to leverage analytics to enable transparency, and how to navigate through the wild west of the audio renaissance with audio moderation, and how to combat spams to increase content quality tomorrow. We will open roundtables for all of us to collaborate on critical topics from how brand image can affect advertising dollars to how to encourage positive play in the metaverse, and many more. It is not too late to join the force and RSVP now. It is my sincerest hope that each and everyone here can learn and explore how we can work together to accomplish the goal of creating a brighter online community for everyone. So I'm fortunate to have a group of leaders in user safety practices who actually are behind the first ever user safety standards um, launched on January 6th this year. So first off, I want this group to introduce yourselves to tell us who you are and what's your role at your company related to user safety. Let's kick off with Angela. Hi, my name's Angela Johnson. I work at Dentsu International as a client uh, development officer. And uh, Tiffany, you and I met on an advisory board for Thrive DX, and this is about helping underserved youth get digital media training that they need to make it in our industry. And while we were um, connecting over uh, the equity piece, I was also talking about my other passion, which was about creating a safer internet for both consumers and for brands. And that's when you thought, aha, I think your eyes lit up and uh, brought me into Oasis. So, you know, as a client leader at Dentsu, I work with some of the world's biggest brands. Um, and I have to think about protecting those brands as we build out digital advertising campaigns for those. And in turn, those companies have to then you know, deliver on their responsibility to protect the safety of their consumers. Um, I also look at this topic from the vantage point of being a mother. I have uh, a teen and a, and a young 20-something, uh, you know, children, and I feel the intense need to create a safer Web 3.0, learning perhaps from a lot of the mistakes we all made with Web 2.0, and having standards to deliver that common point of view and what we should strive for is so important. So let's agree, let's keep pushing what's acceptable and what's not as we uh, get into the metaverse. So those are my two perspectives on, on the safety issue. Thank you, Angela. Catherine? Hey, I'm Catherine Connolly. I am co-founder and SVP of marketing at the Meet Group. The Meet Group is, uh, has a portfolio of dating apps, including Meet Me, Scout, Tagged, and Growler, as well as a vibrant live streaming community where not only do we supply uh, live streaming and creator economy solutions for our own apps, but also um, uh, partner applications as well. So anyone can um, enable live streaming. So, you know, we care a lot about um, user safety, uh, especially because, you know, we, ha we have, we have so many users logging in every day and, you know, we, we put their well-being, you know, kind of above all else. And so, so from day one, when we 
were founding the company, which was back when it was only websites, it was 2005, um, we, you know, we, we made safety part of our DNA. And so, you know, my role is, you know, within marketing, but at the same time, I work very, very closely with the trust and safety team at our org, as does um, our product team and our, um, our engineering team. And we try, um, we say that everyone's touching trust and safety in some way, because um, it's so core to our user experience and, you know, the reason they join the apps is to have fun and connect meaningfully with people. And if you can't do so in a way that, um, you know, that, that you can have expected safety standards, you, you really, as a user, you, you can't really enjoy your experience on, on any platform. Thank you, Kat. Uh, Brendan? Hi, my name is Brandon Ray. I'm the VP of community at Fandom. Fandom is uh, the world's largest entertainment and gaming UGC fan platform. We have wikis covering uh, every single topic you can possibly think of from Game of Thrones to Call of Duty, whatever it may be. And we have 300 million fans who come to our platform every single month. And one of the things that uh, was very important to us in kind of crafting what fandom means as a brand is this idea of like really celebrating the fan experience and, and having a celebratory and positive space. So you know, as part of community, one of the things that I did was I actually built a trust and safety team into uh, community. Now, I didn't have it in sales, didn't have it in marketing. I wanted it to be about kind of the, the end user and making sure that they have as positive an experience as possible. Because I actually, I came up, I was a user on the site before I ever worked at Fandom and I always had a very positive experience. So it's very important to me to make sure that we can deliver that to everybody because um, not everybody gets that online. Thank you, Brandon. Roger? Hi, uh, my name is Roger Gurman. I'm the Executive Creative Director at SXM Media, which is uh, the largest audio entertainment powerhouse in the US, uh, representing the brands that are behind me. Um, the reason I'm connected to or am passionate about brand safety is buying an ad or placing an ad within audio used to be really simple just a couple of years ago because you'd only have your ad placed near music. Uh, these days, uh, placing an ad in the audio space can mean it can be put next to all kinds of things, and it's suddenly become extremely complicated. Um, and, you know, we're a really listener-first uh, company, so we do really care about what the listener experience is, whether you're listening uh, by yourself, whether you're listening with your family, uh, you know, whether you're listening in an environment that may be considered brand-safe or not, or brand-suitable or not, so... It's something that I'm, I'm passionate about from a, both a listener perspective, but also a brand perspective in terms of making sure that your advertising is within the context that, that it should be. Thank you, Roger. Last but not least, Phil. Thanks, Tiffany. Hey, everybody. I am Phil Tomlinson. I'm based in Dublin, Ireland. I lead trust and safety at Taskus. Taskus are one of the largest providers of content moderation and trust and safety solutions to the tech industry. We work with a lot of large social media, dating, gaming, marketplace platforms. And you know, from our vantage point, working with all these different companies, we see all the investments and the movements towards the sort of Web3 platforms. Everyone is making investments. Everyone is issuing you know, sort of brand statements. Everyone is building new products, whether that's uh, you know, immersive VR or that's uh, social plus or it's a blockchain-based or decentralized, everyone is moving towards that Web3 future. So I think it's incredibly important for all of us to have a set of standards, a 
you know, a, a guide, a, a map, a, a set of first principles, if you will. And if you'll allow me, Tiffany, I think the reason that's important to me, so I live in Dublin now, but I grew up in South Africa in the 80s and the 90s. Um, that was a country of huge societal change. And I think back to when the sort of fascist apartheid state was sort of um, formalized in, in, in 1948, um, that sort of coincided with the declaration of universal declaration of human rights that the UN issued the first, the first draft of that. South Africa was one of eight countries who did not sign up to that. And you look at the subsequent 50, 60 years of, of history and, and how that country you know, bifurcated from what the rest of the world were trying to do and how, how awful it was for so many people. <clears throat> but then, you know, in 1994, when, when South Africa had its first democratic election and Nelson Mandela took power, they ratified the, the South African Bill of Rights as part of the new South African constitution, an incredibly powerful, eloquent, aspirational document. And, you know, as a South African and people looking around the world, you would say South Africa has had its problems since then, right? Nothing's been perfect. But, but, they have, but they have had a, a set of core principles to abide by and by which they can sort of have a moral compass. So it's progress and not perfection. And the standards help us on that journey, right? So that's, that's why this, this discussion is so important. And, and the organization is so important to me. So thank you for having me, Tiffany. Love it. One thing I've observed is that when you talk about your role within your company as a steward for good, you actually allude to your responsibility for the broader society um, is a builder of safety within your company. So of course, we all spend extra time beyond your work coming together to convey and a consortium to build the OSS user safety standards. I would love to hear from you is why? why? Why were you willing to go above and beyond to form this industry collaboration to advance the safety practices and standards. Why is it important to you or to your company um, and to the industry in your view? So this time let's start with Phil. Yeah, thanks. Great, great question. Um, trust and safety as an industry is, is nascent, right? It's, it's fairly new. I mean, it's, Bad stuff has happened on the internet since the inception, but really the idea of a practice, a vocation of trust and safety and, and, and a set of standards is, is a fairly new phenomenon. For a long time, most platforms and the internet at large was fairly self-regulating when it came to content, right? It was, uh, it, was, it was a terms of service kind of approach, right? And now we've seen more and more the, uh, the more top-down you know, regulation coming from whether it's regulatory bodies like governments, um, but also, you know, uh, activist employees, pressure from, from users, pressure from the media. So there are now forces at play that um, there, is, there is more scrutiny, there is more, there is more need for transparency. So for me, it's incredibly important that, that, as, an, that as an industry and, and, and my company and the companies that we work with can articulate and then, and then try abide by a set of standards so that we can build a better version of this incredibly useful, but also a very powerful tool that we're, that we're all, you know, all of our jobs are based around, right? The internet and, 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 and how social it is. So, you know, for me, that's, in, that's incredibly important, Tiffany. And, you know, I heard someone say earlier as well, right? Like having kids, you know, I have young, three young daughters as well, and I want them to, and they're all of the age now where they want to watch TikTok and they, they want to, they want to catch up with their friends and, I'm very supportive of that, but I'm also so conscious of that of the of the challenges and the journey that they have to go on. And I want 
I want them to have a better experience, right? And not have to find this all out by trial and error. So again, I think having a set of standards, having a set of rules, having accountability and transparency and, and having a sense of community uh, that we can come together and talk about what's working, what's not, and hold each other accountable. That's the sort of ground zero for how we get this done, right? Thank you, Fial. Any other thoughts, um, Angela? Uh, Catherine, I saw you. Yeah, I'll go. I mean, when Tim Cook said privacy is a fundamental human right, I think he's correct. I think consumers should have control over who knows what about them and who's tracking their activity. And of course, that makes it harder for us as marketers to deliver targeted messages, but we have to innovate to work around that. And, and form great partnerships and have that dialogue, which is obviously the, the point of Oasis. And, you know, at Dentsu, we're working with IAB and GARM and our brand safety monitoring partners, DB and IAS. And many of our clients are also on their side working with the ANA to have initiatives focusing on this. And I think it's, you know, an Oasis for me is a big part of the safety ecosystem. Um, and I think the... Um, I love that one of the pillars in this uh, work that we're doing is about diversity and inclusion, along with safe online communities and data privacy. I, I love those core pillars because for me, creating equitable, uh, you know, a Web 3.0 is absolutely critical that we have algorithms without bias, that we have AI face tracking that doesn't discriminate against people of color. I mean, all these things need to be brought to the fore as we create this next version of the internet. So. And I know your keynote speaker, Raja, the global CMO of MasterCard, who's uh, one of our clients, he has this wonderful idea of can we bring a, can we set up a clean room with anonymized data where um, we only know the characteristics and behavior of the consumer and sort of potentially breaking big tech stranglehold on, on owning the data. And I'd, I'd love to get into that kind of debate through this community um, to explore and come back to that point about innovating to work around the, the, the user's right to their privacy. Yeah, and kind of echoing what Angela said, you know, but by pledging to practice Oasis's user safety standards, you know, we, we really believe that we are contributing toward a safer and more um, inclusive Web3. Um, you know, the, the work of keeping our community safe is never over. And we look forward to continuing to collaborate within the larger ecosystem uh, to not only adopt the best practices, but also to help define what those best practices look like. Um, so so what a, one example is like on our own platforms, you know, we have over 200,000 hours of live streaming content um, you know, uh, streamed every day. Um, you know, we maintain a one-minute response time between when a stream is reported and having a, a paid you know, human moderator um, looking at it. We have over 500 uh, full-time moderators, and in addition to sophisticated AI um, for, for moderation. Um, and as far as we know, that's the best in the industry, but you know, the industry doesn't, for the most part, publish such metrics. So you know, o Oasis's user safety standards will help introduce much needed transparency um, as companies adopt them so that you know, we all can work together to create um, a safer internet for all. Yeah, I just want to add, uh, this is, I mean, I have, I mean, two minds about why I care a lot about this kind of stuff. On one hand, I have, you know, our, my responsibility to advertisers and thinking about how, you know, what, what's going to be the best way and best environment for our advertisers to reach our audiences. So there's like, you know, there's my professional reason. But on the other hand, I have 
what's really personal to me. I feel like when working in advertising, it's easy to forget this, but we have a huge impact on what the zeitgeist is. We have a huge impact on what people actually, how they feel about uh, values, how they feel about society on an everyday level. I know, you know, most of the time we're pushing toothpaste and cereal, but the type of creative that, that we're responsible and the environments in which that they're playing in have a huge impact on, on, on the human mind. If you think about who you are and how you were shaped and what your influences were when you were, when you were a child, people often talk about what kind of television shows they watched or what kind of things they uh, grew up with. But they can probably also tell you some of the ads or some of the jingles that they heard growing up because they're so embedded into your head. And I, it, it makes me feel very, I, I want to really take care of the messages that go out through the platforms that, that we look after because we're hitting, we're, we're literally pushing messages into the ears of human beings, millions of them on, on a daily basis. And it's, it's a very, very sacred space. Um, and I think that communication really needs to be looked at very carefully and very deliberately. Um, you know, I, I, you know, I grew up on the wild west of the internet and, and I love it. But when you're then talking about, you know, physically putting messages into people's brains um, at, at millions and millions of people per message, you, I think it, it's time to you know, really grow up and, and start treating um, these mediums as, as, you know, powerful and, and sacred uh, areas that, that we should be looking after uh, and looking after the, the culture of. Yeah, and so Roger, to to your point, like I I still know I don't know what it means, but I still know that rice aroni is the San Francisco treat from like '90s television ads. Never had it before, but that's always the one that comes to mind. Um, but what you were saying about kind of pushing messages into people, I think it is is why it's also so important to me. Like I, I think so many of the the tech giants, at least, spent the better part of the last. 20, 30 years talking about how they're neutral platform providers. But I think we've reached a point where the growing consensus is that can't be the, the case. Because if you just take a hands-off approach to everything, neutral platform providers have contributed to genocide. They contributed to the insurrection on January 6th. They're contributing to like what could be a proxy World War III in, in Eastern Europe. Like there's so many like different touch points for how misinformation and disinformation are actually starting to affect us. It's not just a, oh, that's this person's opinion when it's being pushed on an almost industrial scale by governments or, or other non-governmental actors. That's something that we have to, to focus on and we have to build standards around. I love it. Um, really, the, the, Angela well pointed out the, the mission of the consortium is to advance digital sustainability through ethical standards and ethical technologies. Um, I had this conversation, Angela, as you mentioned, in this keynote conversation with Raja, one thing he did mention is there is a quantum leap of technologies. And, and, and we can't talk about the user safety standards without mentioning this context of we are moving into Web3, coming with it, there is a tsunami of technologies to make this universe way more immersive, way more persistent, way more interoperable. And we had the right people around table here. Catherine, your platform is very live streaming driven. Roger, you actually wrote so many thought leadership pieces about audio renaissance. Um, Brandon, this whole creator economy almost to me, started with this community economy, and you guys are a community of 
what, thousands of communities behind it. Um, and Phil and Angela, you work with so many clients who are leading the way in digital sustainability. So tell us what you see in terms of the new challenges brought on by the new technologies in this Web3. What are the risks we are dealing with and need to take into consideration as we define the user safety standards moving forward? Yeah, I'll jump in on that one. Thank you. Um, you know, I think <clears throat> um, Brandon had a good point, right? We, we've reached a point where technology has a amplification effect that is that is really unprecedented in in history right so we we these messages used to pass from person to person and you know it would take weeks months years for that stuff to propagate through through a society um th that is now happening in in you know seconds minutes hours and it's really hard to hit the undo button e even if you somehow fix the thing right there's sort of it lives on in perpetuity and um the, the idea then remains, it comes off the internet and into people's brains to Roger's point and lives there and then influences how you behave, how you think, how you talk, how you, how you deal and interact with your fellow human beings. And that, that places a huge, I think, moral ob obligation and responsibility on, on, on everyone who is responsible for that medium, that message. And really that's all of us, right? And you know, all of society, but, but um, to your point, right? The platforms themselves, I think, generally are made up of folks with really good intentions and really smart people who are trying to do their best with a huge, unwieldy, highly scaled, you know, nebulous thing. And, um, you know, going back to sort of the reason we're all here, which is we have to do that work and we have to, we have to sort of navigate that ambiguity, but we have to do it with, from a place of um, some first principles and and going to the to, to the reason why oasis exists and the reasons the reason why you know constitutions exist is to give us the set of first principles so that when things get weird and unclear we have a, we have a way to break a tie we have a way to say yes this this is some kind of fundamental truth and this isn't and we're not always going to get it right and even in those tie-breaking moments we'll get it wrong but um it's incredibly important because otherwise we're just throwing darts in the dark right and um I think that's the challenge. And I, I like to, I, you know, I have a lot of, um, you know, I have a lot of compassion for the folks who are out there, the broader trust and safety community, the product designers, the moderators, the folks who are in the, in the trenches trying to make this stuff better, knowing that it's a sometimes difficult, thankless, and almost, you know, you, it's unclear even if you're winning or not, right? But you, you, you persevere and, and all of us do that, right, to some extent. So, um, yeah, that's, that's, that's my view on that. You know, I'll, I'll tag on to that and say that, like, the, uh, throwing darts in the in the dark, that's where we end up getting in trouble, even if the perception of it just exists, because this this is also highly politicized now. Like, it's, it's, it sounds overly dramatic, but we're at a point where this is about, like, democracy versus authoritarianism in a lot of ways and, and people who may be acting in bad faith or, you know, let's generously say maybe trying to act in good faith, but maybe they don't have all the information. If there's any perception of, well, you just made a left-wing choice in that decision um, uh, for banning somebody from Twitter, then that becomes a controversy in and of itself. And the if you have the ability to at least point back to something, then I think it makes your, at least it creates firmer ground for you to stand on at that point. 
Yeah, I mean, I'm not qualified to speak from either a government or a platform perspective, but I, coming at it from a user and a brand point of view, I, I really want those two parties to work together to really start to amplify the safe standards that we need. Because I don't know, but I always cringe when I watch interactions between big tech and government, particularly in the US, where you get senior government officials who they seem so out their depth, asking ill-informed questions about how this technology works. And then you get big tech patiently answering questions, but often kind of hardly concealing their smirks, like they're patronizing their senile grandpa. And that, that whole scenario is so messed up. And we need government advisors to be asking the questions who are really deep into this subject matter, and they can hold platforms to account with the right dialogue. And I just really want to see intelligent conversations bringing safety to the top of the agenda. Yes, and, and to, to add on to that, yeah, so, so like, you know, part of, you know, creating, you know, standards and, and pledging to, to follow standards is to be proactive and, you know, joining industry associations is a way to do that for the industry, you know, simply sitting back and letting um, a regulator who doesn't understand the industry um, try to find a solution is, is kind of dangerous because you don't know, um, you know, they, they don't have all, all the information. So, you know, being able to point to, you know, standards and also, um, you know, you don't know if the regular is going to be sometimes influenced by an activist organization that isn't industry friendly at all. So, you know, in order to be, you know, have a proactive approach, there needs to be, you know, a stated code of conduct, you know, that shows, you know, what we are doing now and, you know, and, and, and that, you know, that way we can work, you know, all work together, you know, not just private companies, but also, you know, working with, um, you know, with the associated governments um, um, through these organizations um, to be sure that the actual use cases are are, are considered. Um, and, and to the point of actually just directly with users too, and, and this is this is where it's important. Is it, um, so we have a very clear, um, you know, content and conduct policy, like, you know, clear language is <laughs> spelled out um, um, simple English. Um, you know, I, I think that, you know, you basically need something similar at the industry standpoint too, so that, you know, your, your average person could understand what it is. Cause you know, when, you know, when you look at the terms of services that used to be written for, you know, years ago that, you know, unless you're a lawyer, you probably didn't understand what they were. Um, but there, there has been a huge shift already to, you know, get those in, in simple language, get content conduct policies clear so that, you know, not only do our members or, you know, for all of our platforms, can they understand what is allowed, what's, what's not allowed, but also for, you know, an outside person looking, um, you know, looking at the content and seeing, oh, this, does this, um, does this fit with the stated goals? Yeah, Roger, you wanted to say something? Yeah, I just also wanted to add, uh, I think it's really important to have a existing set of code of conduct or a set of rules that we can rally around, partially because all the technology and the algorithms uh, that are all getting built and, and moving right now, they're moving awfully quickly. Like, you know, example, I was just talking about before how you know, we went from just worrying about bad language in music to now worrying about political content in podcasts. Um, you know, we've had to move very quickly on the technology side and, and figure out how to do transcription AI and figure out, you know, for example, the difference between the word shooting in the context of a gun versus shooting a basketball um, and, and having in AI understand the difference between those things like that, that, that had to be informed by um, our own set of rules, our own set of code of conduct that, 
you know, to be honest, we were scrambling to try and put together. We were trying to build the technology at the same time as going, but what are the rules going to be? And, and that, that's incredibly hard. It can also be extremely expensive to try and, and figure out, you know, and, and even simply just getting people together in a room to, to agree on some of these things is, is difficult enough. And having this built by an independent third party uh, as an industry body, I think is incredibly helpful uh, for the industry because there are, there are a lot of players who won't be able to figure these things out on their own and will look for leadership. And it's probably not best for them to look for leadership specifically from individual platforms, but by a group of companies coming together and agreeing on a set of standards. Yeah, so well said. I think before before the standards, we simply didn't even have definition for good. We know when things happen and when bad things happen, but we didn't have a benchmark of what the the good means. So then it makes all of our lives even harder because it becomes a moving target. And coupled with the technologies like audio, like live streaming, which make data exponentially um bigger volume, um, but also the type of the content becomes completely different. You're right. If you do content moderation on text versus on audio is a complete different ballgame. So so having a baseline of what uh, good means in terms of uh, what we call five P's um, at a consortium priority, product, process, partnership, um, and people, and give every single company a baseline to work off. And then you can advance each part of the tenants to make sure that you advance your safety practices. And with that, so um, all of us are pledged to uphold the standards. That means we make improvements across this five piece. I would love to hear that how the standards have improved the work internally. Uh, to help you provide a guidepost and um, in terms of where to go um, for the improvement improvement yeah i'll I'll jump in on that you know i I think when I look at the standards i I, I, I sort of zero in on the people one and I, I think about you know in my organization at Taskus we have thousands and thousands of content moderators around the world who are exposed to some pretty nasty content as part of their day to day so we have both an ethical and a professional obligation to these folks to provide elevated levels of support. And, you know, when I started in this space 15 years ago, that really didn't exist. It was sort of, here's your stress ball, take your 15 minute break, go for a walk and you'll be fine. Right. Um, and I think as the, uh, as, as society has, has evolved in its approach to mental health and destigmatizing it, um, con so is content moderation as a, as a practice. And um, we, we have, we have put that at the front of our value prop. Um, we have clinicians and psychiatrists and psychologists. We have um, really multidisciplinary team around the world who help us um, think about how we provide the best levels of support to our moderators because we want them to have the safest and best experience when they come work here. And really that is informed by that principle, right? Like, okay, if we're going to do this, we're going to do this properly. And if we need to do it properly, here are the 10 or 15 investments that we need to make. And that for me has been uh, hugely rewarding and, and an ongoing challenge as well, because it, there's no perfection, there's only progress. So for us, that, that's really been where, where I've seen it come to life, Tiffany. Yeah, and I have to thank you, um, you know, as the newest advisor for the group, the key reason that I think having Bill on board is important to further develop the people pillar. 
because um, since we launched the standards, there are a lot of questions about how to define, improve, and develop the digital wellness um, uh, metrics for the people pillar under the broader digital safety practices. So no, thank you for you. I look forward to working with you more closely to, to hear like what practices that worked versus not so that we can further um, evolve the people pillar and the standards. Yeah, me too. I, I'm looking forward to that conversation. I'd echo somewhat what, what Phil was saying too about how, you know, you, you said a great word, Tiffany, which was guideposts, like the, the people pillar has really been a guidepost for me as well. Cause you know, one of the things that when I look into the, the broader industry and take a look at like what some of the bigger actors do, I'm, I'm a, I'm the type of person who kind of walks away with lessons of like what not to do. And you see in like some of the, the tech, jo- I won't name any names. I'm sure we all know who I'm talking about though, is like, so that some of these big companies are run based on like, we're doing this cause that's what the CEO said. Like that's the decision-making process. Like he said so. And Things like the the diversity and inclusion points of the people pillar um, and always being a learning organization, those are so important to me because I never want our process to come down to because Brandon said so or because any one individual person said so. I want it to be a group of people with diverse perspectives who are actually thinking about it uh, in a more holistic way rather than coming to the table with whatever my biases might be. And I think that that helps I think in the long run to kind of establishing the consistent trust with the community to show them, here's how we're actually doing it. We're not doing it based on a whim. We're not doing it based on one person's opinion. Here's what we actually filtered it through and all the different touch points uh, that it came across. And, you know, I'm hopeful, like I I mentioned, uh, I think Tiffany, when we did the podcast a little while ago, like I, I mentioned something about how when it comes to trust and safety, we so often focus in on like the safety side of it, but the trust aspect is just so important. Like if people aren't trusting you to make good decisions, then the whole thing just doesn't work. Yeah, I definitely agree. I mean, I think bringing in all, all five P's is key. And, you know, at TMD and in all, all these companies, basically, I think a lot of us are, you know, familiar, already make safety priority. And that's obviously why we are, um, you know, so involved, but at the same time, you know, many companies, in particular startups, you know, they don't have the same collaborative and cross-functional organizations. Um, And so when it comes to safety, they might silo off the trust and safety team. And that's, you kind of, and and that's not in the best interest of of the company moving forward for long-term goals. So I think, you know, the standards will help companies really see how they should structure safety initiatives and, and all of the aspects of that. And to to really have true power with, with, within the organizations. But then on the TMG side, I am happy to say that uh, we uh, we did publish our first transparency report. Um, and so that was something that's, you know, in the user safety standards and we're happy to uh, to do that. Cool. Well, the, of the 11,000 clients that we have, I don't think there's one at the moment that isn't undergoing some kind of tech data transformation. And it's being driven by two things mainly. One, the uh, sophistication, the increasing sophistication of, of consumer identity. And then on the other hand, this, be, you know, companies want to be fully compliant with regulation about consumer privacy and the appropriate use of data. And so 
um, working with a lot, it's gone up to the C-suite level now, that conversation, working with a lot of CMOs and CEOs. To, uh, the, the standards are so helpful. We've got this benchmark to work with and to draw on. And the five pillars are something we use all, all of those as we help and advise our clients. It's absolutely, I'd say, the hottest topic out there right now. And um, in terms of, of what's on uh, the marketing organization's minds. How can we be compliant? How can we protect our brand? How can we protect our users and bring it all together with um, the set of standards is great. Yes, um, so it's, it's, it's very well said that we have seen a paradigm shift. I don't know all of you, uh, you know, today we are talking about this first ever summit focused on or dedicated to digital safety. I couldn't imagine to have that conference solely for this topic even five years ago. And, and there is this paradigm shift that it becomes more a C-suite and a board level conversation. And, and beyond, it is just an insurance liability. This little kid in the backyard, you only got to know the name of head of trust and safety when bad things happen. It becomes really at the forefront of media branding and branding your word a trust. So have you have you also seen this paradigm shift and um, and how internally you leverage potentially these standards or beyond? to get alignment and a buy-in and a focus on digital safety within your company, along with this paradigm shift that I see in the broader industry. Well, I think for us, for our clients, there's two sort of paths that people are, people are running down the metaverse path right now. It's exciting, it's great. Um, there's still a lot to be work, work to be done and what you might call web 2.0 and, and, the, and the work there. So I think it's a question for me about, I'm super pumped and excited about what the metaverse can bring in terms of that equity. You know, I just saw the Metathon being launched and in the real world, that would have been so hard to run a marathon for all different um, people with different disabilities or at different levels of uh, experience that they can, they, they can bring to that. And to have that, that's, that's the beauty of the metaverse where equity, you can bring it up. However, of course, there's the downside to that. And we were all starting to see stories of when the, out in the metaverse, things aren't, there is no equity. There are people doing bad things already. So trying to advise clients as they get into that unknown area. And yet at the same time, there's a lot that we can do, not even metaverse related, just, um, and I'm glad Roger's on. Um, we're, we're looking at the two fastest growing areas in media, uh, Denso Audio, CTV, um, where we really want to make sure that brand safety is at its absolute highest, you know, and um, we, 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 kind of need to put some effort in there, particularly connected TV. We're looking at our partners, IAS and DV. We're working with them to say which app, which channel, which content type, where, where are the ads going to appear and really understand the risks. And then as you were saying, Roger, it might just be one episode of a podcast series that the client doesn't want to be in because of the subject matter versus a blanket. Say, hey, we can't be in that. So working with those and developing those tools and standards to make sure that we can be super effective with our brand safety um, in audio and CTV, as well as, you know, the new, the new, the new metaverse world, which everyone's excited about, but slightly nervous about too. Yeah, I'm also curious because Roger and Catherine, both of your companies have multiple brands under and how how you are cascading this parent company agenda and priority on safety 
to all platforms to make sure that they actually can act on this. Yeah, it's it's been complicated. Um, I, I think from from one of the things that I've noticed that that we've done, and I and I think it's a it's a it's a really good move is changing some of the terms that that we're using uh, within the company. We've moved on from talking about brand safety to brand suitability, and it and it really speaks to the type of content um, each of our different brands are responsible for. So on one end, we have SiriusXM, which is a satellite. Uh, audio content uh, provider in the in the US, um, and they have some channels on on Sirius XM uh, that are, I would say, very conservative um, in in nature and in, in the kind of uh, content that they put out. And you know, on our podcast side, on on Stitcher, we have some uh, podcasts out of, out there that are you know. I wouldn't say far left, but like left, left-wing activist uh, type content as well. So we've got both ends of the political spectrum. And as an advertiser, if you come to the company, you know, we can't just have a simple rule that just says, you know, we're they're all brand safe because they're they're not. Depending on what your advertiser is, you know, there might be an advertiser that'd be comfortable with one piece of content, but but not with another piece of content. So we've had to kind of put together a sliding scale to to decide what type of content is suitable for what kind of advertiser. So the way we've actually decided to approach that from a, a client perspective, it's kind of ended up helping us inform how we talk about it internally within the company, within the different brands that we that we have. And it's uh, it's still an ongoing uh, battle and, and debate, uh, especially when it comes to uh, content curation and, and where we want to continue to make um, investments around content. But uh, but yeah, it's a it's an important conversation for us to continue to have. Yeah, I, I, and the conversation will just you know continue to happen. So basically, you know, of our owned and operated, you know, there are you know major differences on some of the platforms. Like you know, Meet Me and Scout might be pretty similar in a lot of ways, but then when you look at um, Crowler, where you're on, you know, where it's specifically um, you know a, a dating app for for bears, you know, the, the, there's just going to be you know differences in how users use the platforms and and, and the conversation that um, that needs to be ongoing. And so, one of the ways that the Me Group, you know, thinks about managing our, our multiple brands, but also just in in general for how um, how we look at it. You know, we don't see the you know our content conduct policy is like, oh, this is it's been created now it now it can be changed there's always going to be um situation where it's like oh well let's let's figure out a new rule for for, for this type of content um and and have an ongoing conversation and so we do that in in weekly safety meetings that um you know we have multiple teams collaborating so it's not just um you know the trust and safety team our ceo joins these these meetings weekly as is our general counsel um you know the the, the svp of product I, i'm svp of marketing i'm in this as well our talent teams um really in order to, to continue to come you know to, to keep having these ongoing conversations because when it comes to you know designing how trust and safety looks like you know, and, and and the um and the practices for you know an evolving internet, you you, you can't just say so you set them. Oh, that's done now. Um, it, it's always going to be evolving because, like I said before, you know the, the work of keeping our community safe is never over, and so you'll always be, you know, looking back, revising, seeing new types of content, or for us in some cases, you know, maybe adding on a different type of partner that, um, you know, that that isn't as similar to our other partners, and then in that case, you know, um, what types of um, you know, and then, you know, talking about how moderation will then work in, in those situations as well. And so really it's about 
keeping enough flexibility and making sure that you always have the correct channels to be having these conversations. Yeah, and you know, uh, Tiffany, one of the first questions I always ask a client um, is, you know, who's who's who is the chief trust and safety officer of the company, and in which org are they in? And you'll find the answers are extremely varied. Sometimes it's in legal, sometimes it's into the COO, sometimes uh, they don't know who that person is. And you know, we try. You know, I'm on the other side of the the ecosystem, as it were, in my current role, where you know I don't operate a platform, but we're advising and consulting and helping guide our our clients who do operate platforms. And one of the first things I always say is, you know, who, who is accountable for trust and safety? And, and you should think about where that person is, who that person is and where they sit in the org, because that has a huge downstream impact on product development and policy development and, and, and then advocating internally and, and, and having those hard conversations internally to get the resources you need to build a sustainable product. Yeah, and for that reason, that's why it was so important to me to have uh, trust and safety of fandom be part of community because it wasn't at that point going to be about advertising safety. It wasn't at that point going to be just about brand safety through a, a marketing lens. It was actually about the people. And I, I believe very strongly that a platform like fandom only works or only works as well as it can uh, in, in strong partnership with the creator community. And, and a lot of that we do through like product feedback. But one of the things we're actually um, a sneak peek for, for this conference, I guess, we're officially announcing in a couple of weeks that we're doing, uh, or we're, we're creating an admin certification program. So actually empowering and educating our community leaders on some of the best ways for, for how to run a community. And some of that's technical, but one of the tracks that we're launching with is actually going to be about diversity, equity, and inclusion. And, and on the other side of that, you know, we hope that we'll have created this really positive set of community leaders who are able to kind of take part of the torch uh, and, and run with it because everybody's coming to it with good intentions and they want to build the best communities that they possibly can. So we feel within community that it's our responsibility to provide that for them and, and, and make sure we have a, a whole ecosystem of, of trust and safety that permeates throughout all aspects of our, our of our platform. Yeah, love it. it I think I have this conversation with uh, each and every one of you um, when we first even thought of having the standards was that one size doesn't fit all. Um, and how would you be able actually to create a set of standards that apply to all while acknowledging one size doesn't fit all. And another thing you all brought up is this topic is so ever evolving. You know, the, the definition of hate speech is ever evolving, right? So for example, so it's so this so this job we are doing is really hard, and having the accountability, as Phil mentioned, um, having really alignments across all C suites uh, from top down, as Catherine mentioned, and staying in tune with the new technologies, and therefore the business model, business model transformation, as Roger and Angela mentioned, and um, as Brandon you mentioned, really being innovative in terms of new programs to support and safety, but more importantly, the, the human safety to make a thriving community are all aspects we're, we're covering today. So no, first of all, thank you so much for being the stewards for good and for growth for the whole industry. Um, I want to end the session with a parting thought that if anyone who listens um, to this session 
how would they be able to contribute to this top agenda for safety as you have been doing? What can they do? So, I mean, one of the first steps, you know, is, is pledge to follow the OASIS user safety standards, you know, use them as a blueprint for establishing your, um, you know, how, how safety looks like in the organization, um, you know, part of this, you know, public, um, publishing a transparency report and just being in the conversation. Um, I think it's important to, you know, start, start sharing, you know, what you're doing. And, and then, you know, in addition, you know, just connecting with other trust and safety um, teams. And this is something that, you know, you can't, you know, I, I talked about, you know, you don't want to silo trust and safety in, in your own organization, but you also don't want to silo it in your own company. Um, you know, th- these teams absolutely should be talking um, across the industry. And just the more, the, the more and more that the, um, that we can be creating these best practices together and discussing, you know, what, what is evolving and what is changing, um, it will be, will be better for everyone. So basically just, you know, start sharing. (laughs) Yeah. And I I think Catherine sort of echoed what I was going to say, which was if if you are listening in and, and you work in trust and safety or privacy or adjacent fields, go and have those conversations with your leadership, go and have those conversations with your peers and, and use the, use the five P framework as a way to do that. Ask about data privacy, ask about reporting, ask about wellness, ask about how we do this, but also if we don't do it, what's our roadmap to get there, right? And, and those conversations should be healthy and constructive and um, I think done with care, but I think that's, that is where I would recommend folks start. Yeah, yeah I think- I, oh, Go ahead, please. You should, okay. Um, I was just saying, if you if you have at the heart of your convictions that, you know, consumers' expectations now are that brands are smarter, you know, I'm going to give you my data and expect you to engage me with what, so I can see what I want, not what is not applying to me or what I don't want to see. And so, therefore, there's governance around that. And if you are listening to this and thinking, can you get get involved in the governance, use their standards, um, don't be scared of the fact that there should be some governance, because when people kind of commit themselves and their data to brands, and brands earn it, then you've got this wonderful synergistic relationship, I think, of shared value. So I think it's about welcoming the fact that there are some guardrails guidelines and the governance will increase because people are out there they're giving they're committing their data to brands and brands are earning it and that's a good thing and we'll be smart and innovative around it um, and, and drive that synergistic relationship but yeah get involved in the governance of it so people can do that in a really safe way and i think it's hard for people to know where to start too sometimes like trust and safety is such a a wide ranging spectrum that goes anywhere from like somebody calling somebody a jerk in a video game to how it's influencing a war. Like it's, it's huge. It's very, 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 very broad. And I think where I like to start is kind of the fundamentals of what your company is. Like I, I always advise people to kind of start with what are your company values? What is your brand promise? And what are the things that you need to do in order to make those real and make what you say about your brand ultimately true. And I think if you kind of start from that vantage point, then you have something that, you know, you can start wrapping the safety standards around. It makes it a little less nebulous. And theoretically, those are all things that uh, people have agreed on and are aligned on within your company. Um, So if you frame it in a way that that's already understandable and digestible to people, and you kind of base it around what they already know, in my experience, you tend to get pretty easy uh, alignment and agreements. 
thing I just want to add, ask yourself, the company that you work, you work for, do you think your company is good or doing good for society? And I, I think most people work for an employer that they, they do think so. Uh, but then ask yourself the second question, what is the process in which that drives that, that good? Like you might feel that the company is doing good because of the people around you and you have all the right intent, but what are the guardrails and what is the process that allows that company to do good? And if you can't ask, answer that question off the top of your head, you have some work to do to start figuring out exactly how that's happening and, and what kind of tweaks need to be put into place so everyone in the company actually understands that there is a process and a set and a rules and, and values that uh, the company is abiding by to, to continue to do good because sometimes you, you start working for a company that you, you think is doing good and you end up at some point wondering if they are and you're wondering what's guiding it. So I think it's a good place to start. Thank you so much. It is a good way to wrap up today's panel. And I have to say the consortium is so fortunate to have all of you who are the leaders in your space to really shape the common good for the whole society. Thank you so much, everyone. Thank you. Thanks so much for having us. Thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you.